Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF. We are one step closer to the United States Supreme Court making a decision about whether Donald Trump is an insurrectionist and engaged in rebellion under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, and should be banned by various states, including Colorado and Maine, from their ballot primary and for the general election in November. That oral argument is going to be on the 8th of February before the full United States Supreme Court. And now we're in the throes of briefing, filed briefs by both sides. And Donald Trump, who is the um, the, the petitioner or the appellant taking the appeal from the Colorado Supreme Court decision against him in a case we call Trump versus Anderson, has now filed his 53-page brief. And let me break it down for you right now on this hot tick so you understand the arguments. I'm going to focus on the ones that I think are the most important and give you some sort of inside baseball knowledge so that you can make your own decisions. And then we'll get the brief from Jack Smith in opposition, a reply brief from Donald Trump, and it will all time out. Uh, just before the oral argument on the 8th of February, which will not be in uh, uh, in video. We won't be able to see the oral argument. The Supreme Court never does that. But I think given the um, historical importance of this particular case, we will get the audio of their oral argument and we'll be able to report from there. Let's talk about their argument. Their argument is relatively straightforward and we've we've covered it Uh, at length before, but one, it's that Donald Trump did not engage in insurrection or rebellion, as that term is used under the 14th Amendment, uh, Section 3, which is the disqualification provision which was put in by the drafters of the this particular amendment after the Civil War in America during the Reconstruction period as a loyalty test to keep out Confederate officers um, who had served the Confederacy, rebelled against the Union, rebelled against the United States from ever holding office again, unless Congress, by two-thirds vote of the House and the Senate, takes away the disqualifying um, the disqualification uh, of the person and allows him to take his seat. So firstly, you've got the argument that they're raising that he did not engage in insurrection or rebellion. And that has to do with confusion about what is the insurrection or rebellion. I am from the Judge Michael Ludig school that uh, the insurrection is not the attack on the Capitol on Jan 6. That was just one tactic that was used. The strategy of insurrection or rebellion is the is the interference with the peaceful transfer of power and to violate the oath of office against the Constitution. Because it's not an insurrection or rebellion against the United States, as that term is used in the Constitution. It's an insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution. And how do you rebel or, in, or insurrect against a document? Right, our governing charter. You do that by refusing to peacefully transfer your power to Joe Biden, the rightful winner of the election. So there's too much focus, in my view. And of course, I'm a student here of, of Michael Ludig, the the well-respected um, uh, Federalist Society, former federal judge, Republican, who's come out 
uh, against uh, Donald Trump's legal strategies and legal thinking. So that's one. We'll talk more about that as I continue in the hot take. Secondly, they make the argument that uh, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, is not applicable to the president of the United States, that he's not an officer under uh, the United States. He's not an officer of the United States, that he's separate and apart from that, that, he's, that he is the United States as not an officer under it, that the only thing that that applies to is to appointed officers, not elected officers like president and vice president. That's another argument where they take pick and choose from historical references and, and legislative history, I think, the wrong way to reach that conclusion. Similarly, they argue that the president doesn't take the right oath of office to have the 14th Amendment Section 3 um, apply to him. He, he takes an oath in office to preserve, uh, protect, and defend the Constitution, not to support the Constitution. And that difference for them indicates that the framers and the drafters of that section didn't intend it to apply to a president. Now, let me stop right there. One of the reasons we're getting into all of this, what did they mean when they wrote that in the Constitution? Is because they didn't actually write the president and or vice president can be disqualified from the ballot by engaging in insurrection or rebellion. They used more broader terms. They listed some officers, but then when it got to um, the catch-all, they said any officer under or of the United States who swears an oath to support the Constitution can be disqualified here under. And that, based on the legislative history that I'm familiar with, and has been cited by the Jack Smith team in Colorado, is sufficient to capture a president who is an insurrectionist uh, or commits rebellion against his constitutional oath. Um, and, and you can see the legislative history of how they, they did that. They never saw, the, the framers of it never foresaw that Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, would be able to take office again or be on the ballot again. Then they argue, uh, their third major argument in their brief is that Congress must do something in in terms of disqualifying somebody from the ballot, that it's not self-affecting, that provision. You have to go back to Congress. And of course, they're in control of MAGA Congress right now. So they feel, oh, we're, we're home free if that's the case. And that so their, their position is that Congress has to do something. And a related argument is that the provision, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, doesn't ban you from the ballot. A secretary of state from Colorado or other states can't ban someone from the ballot. It just makes it so the person is disqualified once elected from taking the office. Let me, let me unpack that for a minute. It means that they can get elected, and then it's up to Congress to decide by two-thirds vote whether the person can take office or not, whether their disability can be removed as an insurrectionist or participant in rebellion. That's another argument. Um, and so with all of those in place, they then go through you know, point by point, and I'm going to go through it myself and give you the two major points of their argument at the heart of their argument and why I think they're ultimately going to lose. Let me first talk about who drafted this, who's arguing this, because it's a new set of lawyers. Why not Donald Trump's latest set of lawyers? And I know this, at least the major part of this law, lawyers that are prosecuting this particular appeal. Harmeet Dillon from a law firm in California, a very well-respected person in Republican circles. She primarily only represents Republican interests. She tried and failed to win the Republican National Committee chair. Uh, chairmanship, try to take it from Rona, Rona McDaniels. That failed. And now she's gone back to being a practicing lawyer. It's almost always on the right wing slash MAGA slash Trump side, never on the other side. And I've done cases where she's been opposed to me for the Midas Touch Network. Harmeet Dillon represented Marjorie Taylor Greene when we had a case for um, 
Midas Touch when Midas Touch was blocked from Marjorie Taylor Greene's then Twitter account improperly since she used it for official business and under First Amendment rights, she didn't have the right to do that. And we resolved that case with Miss Dillon. But she's leading the charge here along with Scott Gensler, the former, uh, one of the former attorney generals for Colorado, um, and um, their briefing. Now, look, I've read their brief. I get it. I've got the arguments. Who's missing from the brief is brief is somebody like John uh, Saro, who was the uh, who's who's the lawyer Sauer, who's the lawyer for Donald Trump in the immunity case. It's not the same guy that just argued a week or two ago in front of the D.C. Court of Appeals on immunity. So Donald Trump is using different people for different appeals on different issues. I don't know if that's right, if I'm right, wrong, or indifferent on that, but that's what he is doing. I thought that was a little interesting connection to the Midas Touch Network. Real talk, 52% of men over 40 experience some form of ED between the ages of 40 and 70. Personally, all of my friends, once they hit 40, started using something to help, whether they admitted it in the locker room or not, because it's always been a taboo topic. Thankfully, Hims is changing that by providing affordable access to ED treatment all online. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing access to affordable and discreet sexual health treatments all from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to clinically proven generic alternatives to Viagra and Cialis up to 95% cheaper with options as low as $2 per dose. The process is simple and 100% online, no uncomfortable doctor's visits. Answer a series of questions on their site and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No insurance needed. Pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. Hims has hundreds of thousands of trusted subscribers. So if ED is getting you down, it's time to change that. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash legalaf. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash legalaf for your personalized ED treatment options. Hims.com slash legalaf. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription. Now, let me get into the brief itself because I think that's very important and sort of give it to you. So on page 18 of the brief, which we're going to put up on the screen as I fumble my way through this, my, my computer to find it, it says summary of argument, which is a required section of any Supreme Court brief. And what it says is the court, one, the court, this is their lead argument, the court should reverse because President Trump is not subject to Section 3. He's not an officer of the United States, as that term is used under the Constitution. He never swore an oath um, before he became president that could trigger Section 3. I'll talk about that here in detail. The second best argument for them is the court should also reverse because President Trump did not engage in insurrection. I love their leading argument is not that he's not an insurrectionist or didn't commit rebellion against the Constitution. It, it, that's their second best argument as far as I'm, I'm concerned. And there, they're arguing that the insurrection, and I think wrongly here, is the attack on the Capitol and the speech on the ellipse that led to the attack on the Capitol. The insurrection and rebellion, again, against the Constitution is his failure to peacefully transfer power to Joe Biden and all of the elements and steps, tactics, and strategies used by Donald Trump to do that. One of which, at the very end, won the last link in the chain, as the Jan 6 committee put it, it was the attack on the Capitol when all else fell. And we'll talk about that 
Um, three, they say that the Congress has to create a remedial scheme to implement uh, the 14th Amendment, Section 3. It's missing from the literal text, and therefore we have to go back to Congress to figure out what they want to do next. And they're currently, of course, in control of Congress. And then they also say that allowing secretaries of states to determine who's on the ballot or who off the ballot um, undermines um, the the, uh, the congressional, sorry, the constitutional requirement that the Congress determine who's eligible for the ballot uh, for presidency, not individual states. And then they argue that um, this this argument that it's uh, 14th Amendment Section 3 is not a ballot stripping provision. It's an office holding prevention provision. He can still be on the ballot, should be on the ballot. And then after there's an election, then it's up to Congress to decide whether they're going to allow him to take the office or not. And so... Their first argument is the president is not an officer of the United States. And they go through entire analysis. Now, literally, he is an officer of the United States. But their argument is when you look at legislative history, that president and vice president uh, is not included. And officers of the United States is usually, usually a appointed person, part of the civil service body and the cabinet and that type of thing, and not an elected position. I don't think that squares with the legislative history. And I think you can pick out other places in the Constitution where that is not the case to make it a broader application when the framers were writing what they wrote. You can only use the literal text of what they wrote. Legislative history may be an aid if there's ambiguity, but without ambiguity, it applies to all officers. And since Donald Trump himself has called himself a federal officer when he tried to use removal statute to take a state prosecution case to federal court, I think he's sort of sunk there. We'll see what Jack Smith and how Jack Smith um, uh, response to that in their brief that's due in about a week. Then you have their argument that he didn't take the right oath. He took an oath concerning the con the uh, Constitution to defend it and preserve it and protect it, but he didn't take an oath to support it. And so, whereas the Colorado Supreme Court said it's the same thing, here he says, no, the, the framers of the 14th Amendment we're signaling that they didn't want the president because it's the wrong oath. I think that is how many angels dance on the head of a pin argument. And I think that fails as well. His oath is, is, is virtually the same as anybody else's oath. And therefore, that can't be the argument. Let me turn to the argument that he did not engage in insurrection. That's on page 33 of his brief. And there, again, it's a very narrow, too narrow focus on his role or speeches that he gave on the ellipse. The Jan 6 committee report is very detailed. That we're not just talking about what they say here. Listen to these words. President Trump's words that day called for peaceful and patriotic protest and respect for law and order. Is anybody having seen the ellipse speech or read the Jan 6 report believe that that's all that Donald Trump did that day? We know the TikTok leading into the Jan 6. We know about the war room, war room at the Willard Hotel, staffed with Bannon and Flynn and Giuliani and others. We knew that this was their last stand, right? This was their, uh, uh, this was their last battle. This was their Alamo to try to take back the presidency uh, from the rightful winner, Joe Biden. He knew they were armed in the audience of his speech. He took that. He asked for the magnetometers and the metal detectors to be taken down. He directed a he he pointed a fomented group um, that he wound up 
and called for them to fight like hell and knowing they were armed, pointed them at his political enemies in the capital and set them and set them loose. That's what happened. It's not about his First Amendment right to, to say that the election was stolen. It's about all the things he did leading into that. Um, and then the other arguments, again, they're, they're just narrowly focused on the speech on the ellipse. And then they go on to say complete distortion of the record, the historical record, that Trump also told his supporters on page 34 to remain peaceful and stay peaceful. And he released a video and told them to go home. We all know of the, you know, the long periods of dereliction of duty as he sat in the dining room watching the Capitol burn, not doing anything. We've seen the speeches and the changes in the speeches that he was supposed to give. He was supposed to give it earlier. We know about the text messages from around the Republican and MAGA world, you know, telling the president, including his own children, to tell them to go home and to stop the attack, and he didn't do it. Instead, he wanted Mike, Mike Pence hanged. He called them the P word. He said he was ineffectual, that Mike Pence should have, should have never let this happen, and the like. So the fact-finding attack is also wrong after the one-week-long trial in Denver and the results of that. And then they go on to say, because, because they're focused again, that, that is the insurrection. And again, I'm going to pause it here. And I think the United States Supreme Court will have it framed for them by Jack Smith. The insurrection in a rebellion is not against the Capitol. It's against the Constitution. And it's all the things that Donald Trump did to try to interfere with the peaceful transfer of power. The fake electors, the uh, the uh, using the voter fraud um, to whip up his supporters, the um, pressure campaign on Mike Pence, right? The the um, meetings with the uh, with the lawyers in his in his uh, Oval Office to talk about seizing voting machines and using the military against the United States electorate, you know, the you know to declare martial law and, and use the Insurrection Act. That is, among other things, the rebellion and insurrection against the Constitution, not this narrow thing. And I think Jack Smith's going to call out that as well. And then they end with, on page 38 through 40, that, well, that language seems interesting in the Constitution. This is my summary, but you got to go back to Congress. Congress has to pass appropriate legislation in this area. And then their related argument is that Donald Trump needs to be on the ballot, that that's not a ballot stripping provision, that's an office holding disqualification provision, and that that's going to be resolved one way or the other, thumbs up or thumbs down by a two-thirds vote of Congress, but you can't have him off the ballot because that disenfranchises tens of millions of people. Now we're going to see what Jack Smith does in his response which is going to be coming up very, very soon. We'll continue to follow it and give you this kind of hard-hitting analysis. We're not blowing smoke or sunshine. We're just giving you the facts based on our legal experience, arguing cases in courtrooms just like the ones that we're talking about. And we do it on Legal AF. Yes, the title is exactly what you think. It sits at the intersection of law, politics, and justice, so you don't have to. And we do it on Wednesdays and Saturdays with our full hour-long curated podcasts called Legal AF. And then on Hot Takes, the leaders of Legal AF do it like this right here. Don't change that dial on the Midas Touch Network. Um, every hour, every hour, we talk about it all. Supreme Court decisions, uh, abortion decisions, women's right to choose, civil rights, immigration, immigration rights, anything that ends up in the courtrooms and the courthouses involving Donald Trump and his civil and criminal woes, because it's important that we pull you know, the scales off everybody's eyes and we explore right here with lawyers who know what they're talking about this 
particular set of historical facts. If you like what I'm doing, leave me a thumbs up and a comment. It helps keep me on the air. It helps keep the lights on on the Midas Touch Network. So until my next hot take, until my next Legal AF, this is Michael Popak reporting. Thanks so much for watching. We're only a few subscribers short of 2 million subs. Please subscribe right now to the Midas Touch YouTube channel for free and help us grow this unapologetically pro-democracy network.